Hey, Mac here. Quick note about this episode. We had some audio issues and a corrupted file, which is why it may sound a little weird in parts and why it was published out of order. So I apologize if you hear any scratching. It will not be a problem in future episodes. And I hope you enjoy this episode because we had a lot of fun recording it. Now on to inventory number two. This week on Punch Mountain, lock the doors and put on a pot of Red Bull because we're recapping episodes 13 through 24. And looking forward to the next 30 dozen movies in an episode we call The Inventory, Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of all action movies. Not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We do not make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake. I'm joined as always by the flag on top of any mountain or the cherry on top of every Sunday, Mr. David Hada. David Hada, how are you? Komaram Panda Express, my old friend. How are you? <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> how dare you? How dare you go remembering things? I remember yours was Linden. Mm-hmm. And then Lyndon Mission. Uh, That's right. Okay, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Wh- what are we talking about? Those are our, our black market kaiju dealer names. Uh, the formula which we was set out by the movie Pacific Rim. Yeah, this is going to be the episode for that. It's going to be the episode for uh, callbacks and references. This is the inventory episode. We're going through episodes 13 through 24, going back, tying up some loose ends, talking about some things we missed the last time around. That's what this is, Mac. This is just like an office party. We're just having fun. You would think that talking for over an hour and a half about like a 76-minute movie would be enough. But no, David, I have lingering thoughts about some of these films. And we got a couple messages from our listeners, and they have some extra thoughts too. And so we're going to get into all of it. As you said, David, we're going to follow up with the last 12 movies that we ranked. And we're going to do them in order. And this is going to be a fun, chill time. But David, before we take stock of the last 12 movies let's take stock of a friendship ours david a friendship chicken how are you i'm doing well mac like i'm gonna take this opportunity to follow up on something uh we touched base on in the last inventory episode mac what's your video game routine like these days are you playing some games oh david i'm the fucking worst i have not made time to enjoy a lot of media but i don't stop buying it in fact the last time i bumped into the boys cantina who, uh, for new listeners, those are two fans of this podcast who think they're stalking me, but secretly, boys, I know where you are right now. And one of one of the dudes, uh, T, mentioned that he worked on the new Metroid game for Switch. The uh, I say new, I think it was the Metroid Prime Remastered. Okay, sure, yeah. And he says, uh, you should check it out. And I, I did purchase it, and I have not, I've not played it yet. Why, what about you, David? What, what's your... Uh, video game slash media diet these days oh right now my my world is mlb 23 i'm right back into old habits i'm playing that thing i'm trying to build up my team so that i, I can play online and not embarrass myself it doesn't matter actually i'll, I'll say this if, if anybody is interested in sports games or anything like that this version of mlb the show is probably my favorite they got a lot of things right they beefed up the offline play so that you don't have to play online where it's all toxic and shitty it's a lot of fun, and that's kind of my life right now, is if I'm not listening to actual baseball, I'm playing video game baseball. If a Punch Mountain fan wants to play you in this video game, would you consider playing them online? Okay, here's the thing. I'm not going to accept invitations or anything like that, but if you happen to stumble across me online and play me and beat me, take a screenshot of this 
and send it to punchmat at gmail.com. We'll figure something out. Well, how do they find you? Is your name? Uh... It's They'll figure out my, my username. My username is what my username is in life. So it, when they see that, or they see the Colorado cartoon wolves, they'll know that it's me. This is like a glass onion all of a sudden. Other than that, catching up on Deadwood season two, <laughs> catching up on, uh, I'm, sh- I'm showing the bombshell, Deadwood season two. After that, we're moving on to the Misfit season one. But uh, that's all. I'm just living in the past, Mac. How, how are you? What do you want? What are you consuming these days? Man, <laughs> the last movie I watched, oh, I'm not proud of this. It was The Gentleman, David, the Guy Ritchie film. Oh my gosh, okay. How did that go? Well, look, Instagram keeps showing me these two clips from the movie. One clip is Charlie Hunnam threatening people with a gun, some some shitty teens. And he's, you know, he's using his English accent. We've talked about this, David, on the Pacific Rim episode about Charlie Hunnam. Like, oh, is he is he cheesy in just the American accent? And so I'm curious about Charlie Hunnam with a British accent. And then the other clip is Colin Farrell wearing some weird plaid jumpsuit. Also sassing a bunch of teens and fighting them and telling them their breath smells like piss. And it seemed pretty funny. And I like some Guy Ritchie movies. Then others, I'm like, what are we doing here? So I guess he's like, what, every director? <laughs> you know? Uh, sure. I watched it, and that clip with Colin Farrell, I was expecting the movie to have a lot more of him kind of playing a wacky character, and it did not. It was a little uneven and a lot of stuff I, I didn't care about. If somebody wants to start a podcast called Ritchie Mountain, <laughs> and they just <laughs> rake the films of Guy Ritchie, I might listen to it. Because I, he's, he's interesting. He's a he's a weird he's got a weird filmography. Interesting, yes, but I don't know if he delivers because like I'm thinking about it, and at least to me, it's snatch number one, and then everything else is just a fist fight at the bottom. Like it's it, snatch is so good in my mind mm-hmm. that I forgive a pretty mediocre career around that. I like Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, and I like Sherlock Holmes. I guess I should clarify. I don't mean interesting like his movies are interesting. His choices are interesting. 100 Oh, I get you. Yeah, Like yeah. Aladdin, that Disney movie? I mean, maybe that's not an interesting choice. Maybe that choice is like uh, Papa Needs a New Castle or something like yeah. that. <laughs> maybe the boat was interesting. All right, Dave, before we get to the individual episodes, looking at all 12, is there anything you want to catch up on? Any overall thoughts about episodes 13 through 24? I really like this chunk. I really like this run of, of the past dozen movies. I think if you look at them as a collective dozen, it gets interesting in the middle when you get to around uh, Woman King, Top Gun Maverick territory. But overall, these are strong episodes. I really enjoyed watching the movies. I really enjoyed talking about them. A lot of middle of the mountain fodder. I don't mind it. Well, I should say, while I don't mind it, I think I'm ready for for some top of the mountain stuff, but this was a good run of movies. Yeah, we've definitely been filling out that middle, and we'll get into this later. But I think we're ready to take some shots at the top. But David, we got uh, an email from Dustin S, who's listened to the show before, and he said this: "I bank episodes where I haven't seen the movie yet and try to catch up." Side note: I think it's great. And well, you asked at the end of Raid Two episode for our thoughts if we disagree, and at the risk of angering you guys, I think its placement on the mountain is way too high. Solid movie, sure, but entirely too long, and the justification for some of the action set pieces are a bit goofy. Also, yes, that shot of the guy in the porn factory running down the table and jumping through the windows is impressive, but why didn't he just go directly through one of the first windows? I don't know, Dustin. My only markout moment of the entire movie was when he, I guess he is Rama. Rama kills the bat guy, and the bat stays lodged in the bat dude's head. Yes, that was an awesome moment. So Dustin brings up uh, some interesting points. First of all, you're not going to anger us. We just we, The fact that you listen to the show, honestly, we're like super grateful. So like, For sure. yeah. even if you're like, man, your, your opinion sucks. Like, you know, I disagree completely. Go ahead and send that email. Like, we're not going to get mad at it. We, thank you for engaging with the, with the, the cast. 
But also, Dustin, you said we ranked it too high. Oh, Dustin, it's not us doing the ranking, Dustin. It's the mountains. Okay, the action gods themselves built this mountain. We're not. We're just telling you where these titles appear on the mountain, my man. Here's what I want to do. I, w- I want to start two piles. And before it's all said and done, I want to see which pile is bigger. The the letters we get from people who think, hey, you ranked this way too low. And the pile of people who think, hey, you ranked this way too high. I think it's easier to bring enthusiasm to this and convince me that a movie is better than we thought. To say that you only got one mark out moment out of this movie and you didn't get mark out during the prison yard fight. Or the prison bathroom fight. <laughs> or the car chase. <laughs> Dustin, you are angry us a little bit, I guess. <laughs> But Dustin's email does lead me to something, David. The more we add to the mountain, the harder it might be to remember some of these movies. And our our plan is, and it's kind of a loose plan, that after a year we will revisit some of these. Not necessarily like in an episode. We may just like rewatch them in our own time. And then if if we feel like something's off, maybe we'll, you know, re-offer it to the mountain. For example, you know, after we get episode 52 or whatever, I do want to rewatch The Rock just because, you know, I, I see that movie popping up on a list and a lot of people like it. A movie like that, it's nice to have as a touchstone and it's nice to have kind of like a clear view of how of, of how good that movie is or, or how bad, etc. You know, and again, in a year. I mean, I was reading this uh, article about Studio Ghibli. Oh man, I'm going to screw up his name. Miyazaki. He was saying the kids should not watch his movie more than once a year. My movies are stealing time from children that they might go out and have their own adventures. Which, look, I'm not worried about that, but I'm watching uh, Jurassic Park, King's Dominion, or whatever the fuck it's called. Oh, this is time I could have spent uh, murdering dinosaurs. There's no need for me to watch The Rock twice in one year. But there are some movies that we'll probably revisit. And what those movies might be, I mean, based on emails, yeah, maybe we need to rewatch The Raid 2 in a year. We'll, We'll see. Yeah, I wouldn't mind making that just a collaborative effort with the audience and see if they think something should be reconsidered. And that's something else we'll do in future inventory episodes. If there is a mountain update, we will provide it during these. Hey, David, you remember uh, last episode I mentioned that someone had created a, a Facebook group for pun- a Punch Mountain fan Facebook group. Fan group, Facebook, Punch Mountain. Some combination of those words was created. It's a Price is Right puzzle. we got to guess the proper three words. Uh, I remember I was initially terrified. I guess that was my gut reaction. I did not mean to sound terrified, but uh, it was ultimately very flattering. So uh, what's the latest on that, Mac? I, to be honest with you, I, when I started looking at it, my first instinct was like, man, if someone is mean to me on here, I swear to God, I will cry and smash my computer. That'll show them. <laughs> but no, David, uh, Chris C. is the gentleman who started it. I was looking at the people who are on this thing, and I recognize most of these names, and they're all super nice. So you know what? I'm not worried about this thing. I'm super flattered uh, by it. And uh, yeah, I'm going to start uh, promoting it, I guess. But I joined the group, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's very cool. Yes, let's support them and let's support them supporting us. Yeah. Hold on, I got a DM from a group member. Go die. Oh, no. no. Uh, what's it called? Punch Mountain Podcast Fans. Thank you, Chris. And 14 Mountaineer Strong Ooh. Band of People. Mountaineers. All right, David, the first movie we got going on here, episode number 13, Dread. Yeah, I like Dread a lot. I, I still think about it quite a bit. You know, a good measurement when talking about these movies, about the next 12 movies, is I like to measure, or I like to think about if a friend of mine were to show up and say, hey, I've never seen this movie, would I feel inclined to like sit down and watch it with him? Or would, would I have like the enthusiasm to, to sit down and watch it with him? Dread, I'd be enthusiastic about. Dread has really, really high rewatchability. Yeah, what, what are your thoughts about, about the episode and about that movie one more time? I mean, whenever we do count down the rankings, I'm always kind of surprised to see Dread at number eight. Dread was not necessarily like an overly ambitious action movie. Like it wasn't trying to have like the biggest action scene of the year or, you know, it didn't come close to trying to do what RRR did, right? 
But at the same time, what Dread does, the movie, it does really well. Like everything it does is like super solid. I, I really dug the performances, even though one of the performances is just a mouth. It's one of the movies I have to stop and think about for a minute and they go, oh yeah, yeah, no, it deserves to be where it is for sure. I was so taken by this movie and so taken by this world that I did find, I did decide to actually go back and watch the 95 Judge Dread, which I had not seen. Oh shit. I avoided it for a very long time. And I got to tell you, I, I see where producers in the 90s thought they could get something out of this. I see where, you know, there is a successful franchise to be had. If one change could be made with that 95 movie, fire the casting director. Every single casting choice in that movie was wrong. I know I know Stallone gets that movie made, but he's too big. Like, you know, just the, his performance, like the, the sets in this movie are cavernous. So it's Stallone trying to play up to the cavernous room. Hmm. Armand Asante, not very interessante. Oh, ouch. I know, I know. I hate to say it. But like, strip away the actors and replace them with actors who are committed to selling the script, and the script isn't half bad. It was kind of wild to watch this movie and feel sympathetic toward it. I'm so glad they made this version of Dread, the most recent one. I'm glad this exists. Yeah, still stunned. They haven't turned into this into like an Amazon Prime series or something. Now, David, I was inspired by the movie Dread to go out and purchase some Dread comics. And I emailed Jared McCorkle, one of the hosts of the Comics Canon Revival podcast. I was like, hey, man, you ready to judge Dread? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, where are some good ones? He's like, Garth Ennis wrote a bunch of good ones. I picked up a couple books with some stories by Garth Ennis and some of the stories by Alan Grant, right? Is that his name, the co-creator? That is right. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And have not read them. So if you want to know how busy I've been uh, recently and also slash my weird capitalism disease, I, I buy comics I do not have time to read. I'll tell you what, though. I came close because I was shopping for some Dread comics, too, and like... The digital versions online are a few bucks for like collected case files, you know, so they'll take yeah. an entire, you know, year of Dread Comics and release that. If I could just do a little more research and find a good volume of that to read, I'll absolutely read some Dread. Now, kind of a, a tangent here, David. I was at a gym today and I was talking to my personal trainer. Now, real quick, that's shocking news, David. And because if you look at me, you'd be like, personal training, what are you training for, Right slouching while eating a pie no i just it's not something i like to talk about because people are like you're wasting your money or they'll also shame my trainer because but whatever we we're doing some exercise where i'd like toss up a medicine ball it doesn't matter i was wearing a hat to catch my sweat and i turned my hat around backwards now david is there a movie where sylvester stallone turns his hat around backwards to take it to the next level you bet there is it's over the top that's correct and i you know wanted to stall for time in between these exercises so i was like oh I'll chat up my trainer for a second. This trainer is younger than me. And before I started talking about over the top, I had a feeling and I go, hey, do you know who Sylvester Stallone is? And the trainer goes, why does that name sound familiar? Oh my goodness, David. What is happening? It is right to happen. This is the natural order of things. Our gods must be killed, right? <laughs> yeah. The old gods must die so the new world can be born. This feels good. This feels better than the alternative, which is holding on to these as heroes, like pretending that that gross toe-sucking show that he does on Paramount Plus is any good, or, you know, acting Wait, hold like... Wait, like, time out. What's up? Tulsa King is like a foot fetish show? Wait, what did you call it? Tulsa King. Oh my God. <laughs> it's not toe-sucking? God damn it, David Hanna. You walked right into it, my dude. Uh, you son of a fucking bitch. <laughs> hey, uh, is this gold medal yours? Yay! There you go. God damn it. I got, got so hard. But this is similar to a conversation I had about Roadhouse, where, you know, it's not a very 
well-known movie. It's not considered like a classic in the same way that like a Terminator or a Predator is. So like, you know, yeah, to watch these things that we held so high sort of crumble before our eyes is is very jarring. Episode 14, RRR. David, something else we talked about on the RRR episode, Rama and Beam became friends. There was a song that played and the lyrics basically were like describing what happened uh, in the movie up until that point. Every movie should have a song of the soundtrack that just recaps the movie. It has to be required by law. And in my mind, the gold standard of that, or the first thing I think of, is the song that accompanied the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Turtle Power? Uh, by Partners in Crime. Yeah. And here, let me look up little lyrics. In a half shell, they're the heroes for. In this day and age, who could ask for more? The wow. That's wave. on top of your head. David, the crime wave is high with mugging mysterious. All police and detectives are furious. Because <laughs> they can't find the source to this lethally evil force. Right? Wow, yes. Because I I would watch a video countdown show every weekend, and this charted for a while, and it was just catchy as hell, and it is burned into my brain. No no uh, formulas or uh, equations that I could use for like good, the good of mankind. There you go. Movies, uh, partisan crime. They said they said the bar. Who's gonna jump it? Who's gonna jump it? Do you jump bars? You do jump bars. No, you limbo under them. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah, the bar is there. You gotta orient yourself around it somehow. Now, David, the biggest crime of this episode, you told a story about something that happened to us on a trip. Me and you, we took to Houston to go to a baseball game, and you recapped the story. And I was like, "Well, the full story, David, you're missing some details on it." And I'll I'll tell that story at the end of the podcast. And when we got to the end of the podcast, I sure fucking forgot to tell that story. So, David, I will say now, I will tell that story at the end of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm looking forward to it. And one more thing about RRR. I was doing some best of uh, 2022 shows with Master Pancake Theater. We used clips from RRR. One of those clips was from later in the movie when uh, Komaran Beam rescues Rama from his solitary confinement cell that's like underground. And Rakakuni style, he puts him on his head and then they form like a Goro or whatever and they fight together. Sure. Watching just that clip though in theaters, I was so into it. And it just really reiterated my belief that that this would have worked better as like a series. Because when you have to take it all in one sitting or two sittings, it's just so much of the same beats over and over again that an amazing action sequence like that, an amazingly silly but still amazing, that kind of sequence just got buried or I just like, I couldn't get as excited for it. So yeah, I mean, the fact that movie was so overstuffed uh, doesn't mean that its ingredients were bad at that point. It just means that, Hey man, you're you're throwing a lot at me right now. You know, but I also think that's why it's so high on the mountain because there is so much action. Like it really is, you know, this and RRR and the raid two are really the only two on this mountain. I would consider like action epics, like from beginning to end, RRR has a little bit of softness to it, you know, with the musical numbers and the romance and stuff like that. But from beginning to end, it's going to be action, 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 action. You know, the fact that it tries to maintain it over a three-hour runtime, it's going to hurt it overall. But golly, it was three hours of action. Again, it got to the point where they were dueling with motorcycles. I think some guy lifted a motorcycle to use it as a weapon. At that point, where do you go? It's almost like the Fast and the Furious movies, if they're all one movie. <laughs> Actually, that'd be an amazing challenge. Edit down like uh, Fast 4 through 9, or 4 through 8 as like one movie. Oh, interesting. I'd be super into that. Put Topher Grace on that. Episode 15, The Dirty Dozen. David, I went Googling around for other best of action movie lists just to see what's out there, what other people are talking about, get some inspiration. 
and I stumbled across Rolling Stone's 2021 Top 50 Movie List. Now, David, like any list that's not the mountain, there's going to be some stuff on there that you're like, okay, that this writer got some stuff that I agree with, and then there's some fucking wild choices. Top 50 of all time, Dirty Dozen is on that list at number 15, which, David, we've only done 52 movies. These aren't even the top. Dirty Dozen is not even in the top 20. <laughs> Sorry, it's yeah, 19. It just, it just barely made it. That's nuts to me. And here's the meat of the review here. Robert Aldridge's WW2 adventure wasn't the first Men on a Mission movie, but it's arguably the most influential and boasts the most stubbly, brawny cast of them all. Bronson, Cassavetes, Robert Ryan, Telly Savalas. Throwing Lee Marvin at his flintiest, Cleveland Browns MVP Jim Brown throwing grenades down air shafts, and one hell of a shootout between the dozen and German soldiers, and you have the makings of an action landmark. You can practically smell the testosterone wafting off the screen. This person, did they watch this fucking movie? No, I think they watched like a making of or a retrospective. I, I think they're just, this is a, uh, you know, they're coasting on the reputation of the movie. Like, I can name people in that movie, too. Yeah, it's a very masculine and macho movie. Calling it influential, calling it an action landmark, all those things are true. And one hell of a shootout. Yeah, one. One action scene. This movie has one action scene. Also, you can practically smell the testosterone wafting off the screen. Is that is that the requirement for a good action movie? Just the fact that uh, uh, <laughs> toxic men spend a lot of time together? Yeah, there was uh, one scene just like that in the movie, and we had to make sure that Telly Savalas was in the watchtower the whole time. That's true. So it mentions Lee Marvin and his flintiest, right? And Jim Brown throwing grenades down air shafts. But it also doesn't mention the scene where uh, they they paint each other's hands accidentally. <laughs> or Donald Sutherland uh, pretends to be a general for some chuckles. Look, I like those scenes, right? Well, one of them. But at the same time, this person might have been going off their memory. Watch it again, my man, because that movie is not action-packed. It is action-stacked at the end. But throughout, there's a there's a lot of filler in this thing. The end is action full, but yeah, uh, I, yeah I don't know if it's action packed. Here's the th- here's a good litmus test for you. Next time you go to the gym, get on that treadmill, put in your earbuds, and crank up that soundtrack by Frank D. Vall, and then see if that doesn't get your juices flowing. The Dirty Dozen is a great movie. It's super entertaining. If this person is like, well, it's a good movie, yeah, great. But look, if we're making a list of action movies, I don't, it's not, man, 15 action movies? I don't know. Number 16, Yes, Madam. <laughs> yes, Madam is fun in my memory. I don't know if I would be so quick to rewatch it if a friend wanted to rewatch it, but like, it, that was a pleasant time. That was the kind of itch that I wanted to scratch. Like, this is a type of movie that I'm very ignorant on, and I was happy that this was my introduction to it. Uh, what, what did you think about this one? After Michelle Yao won the Oscar for Best Actress, I saw that clip of that fight scene getting posted a lot on social media. People were like, oh man, you don't even know Michelle Yao. Check out this scene from Yes, Madam. And that final fight at the bad guy's mansion, I don't remember the bad guy's name. The guy was like, <laughs> that one. I mean, it's an awesome fucking scene and she's definitely serving it in that action set piece. This is the movie that when I look at the, the mountain listing, I'm always like, wait, why is Yes, Madam so low? Shouldn't that be higher? And then I sit and remember the actual movie I remember how underused Michelle Yao is in that thing. Mm-hmm. How much fucking time we spent with uh, the medicine cabinet gang, yeah. aka Fingers, depending on whatever version of the movie you watch. But also that episode, David, I was very tired when we recorded it. And I feel like when I went back to, to do my editing pass on it, I was like, oh, I like this movie a lot more than I made it sound because I sound pretty like, oh, it's a good film. But no, I mean, that movie is super fun. And Michelle Yao stuff is amazing, but we waste a lot of time on stuff that is not important. If you're wondering how a movie that has some amazing action like that is so low, I mean, that's your answer. It's like we waste a lot of time on not Michelle Yao and not Cynthia Rothrock. Yeah, you know, we we do actually take into consideration the connective tissue between action sequences. And I think that explains a lot of like 
a lot of the more questionable decisions on the mountain. Yeah, and Suey Hark. I mean, there's other amazing stunts in it. It's just, I mean, look, there's a reason why the number one action movie of all time is not just like a highlight clip of like the world's craziest stunts, right? Like you need to care about the action happening. And like the fourth time we go back to their fucking apartment in uh, that movie, it's like, get me out of here. But one of the one of the impressions I was left with after this movie was I did want to go and track down more uh, Cynthia Rothrock specifically because interesting yeah well you know I I knew that she had such a long career and maybe this wasn't the best showing or maybe this, this was like her first movie right that's right this was literally like her first movie so I wanted to see if she got better from there you know if she got to be a, you know, featured more prominently. And the adventure that I went on to find a Cynthia Rothrock movie, because if you go on Prime and type in Cynthia Rothrock, a bunch of free options come up. I went through a few of them. I went through, my first one was Fast Getaway, because that's one that uh, stars Corey Haim. And I am a big sucker for Corey Haim action movies. Mm. But this one was too much Corey Haim and not enough Cynthia Rothrock, so I stopped at like halfway. Then I did a movie called Martial Law which I can't remember who the co-star is on that one, but it did not feature Cynthia Rothrock very much. So I finally land on a movie called Honor and Glory. This is a pretty good movie. I enjoyed it a lot. But again, Cynthia Rothrock is not the star of this movie. Donna Jason, I'm going to mention her name now because I do want to try and find other movies by her, was so impressive in this movie. I was like, how did Cynthia Rothrock get to be so known to me? Like, how is she like the video queen of the 90s when her career so far in my estimation, is pretty underwhelming. I guess, uh, well, if you find a good Rothrock, let's, let's bring it back to the mountain. I will still dig. Episode 17, Top Gun, colon, Maverick. So, dude, there's some talk about whether or not Miles Teller should go screw. You brought up that he was in that Paramount Plus miniseries about the making of The Godfather called The Offer, which I have not seen. It did look intriguing. Did you watch it? I got an episode and a half in, and the jury was in. Oh, no. A success. Deliberation was over. It's through no fault of Miles Teller. I think Miles Teller is good for Miles Teller roles, and I think those roles are the ones that Joseph Gordon-Levitt passes on. (laughs) So here's the thing about the offer is that he plays Albert Ruddy, who started off as like an employee at NORAD, like a number cruncher. And so then he sort of like backdoors his way into Hollywood and, and into producing. But like he's in the Top Gun Maverick physique. So it's this like pencil pusher busting out of his shirts. It didn't work, but I'll tell you what, uh, episode two, I saw a friend of ours named Burn Gorman and I got very excited. Hey, I said, Burn Gorman. Burn Gorman. <laughs> I know that guy from that thing. So yeah, Miles Teller doesn't do himself any favors in the offer, but like Matthew Good is a really excellent Robert Evans. It it compels me to watch more of it, but uh, I'm not in any rush. Matthew Good. Ugh. They really misnamed that guy, Matthew Good. His name should be Matthew Great. (laughs) Getting back to Top Gun Maverick, I, I, listening to this episode, I'm happy with it. You know, I think it came off better than I, than I feared. I was worried that I would come off very negative about this movie, but I think I come off okay. Here's the thing about Top Gun Maverick. Here's my final word on it. I I liked it fine, but it was just low on the watch list. I, it wasn't a very high priority. Like, you know, this was episode 17. There were other movies that I was sort of in a hurry to see, but I hope that didn't come across in my criticism of it. The third act's still fucking awesome. I still think about that. It's really cool. There's a lot to like about this movie. What came across to me in that movie is that you're just not a fan of Maverick. Like, not a fan of the character uh, himself. And so having somebody who you don't feel like should even consistently be in these positions and given these opportunities, it seemed like that was a hard buy for you, which is valid. 
Yeah, it's it's making a good dish out of an ingredient I don't like. I did enjoy that movie uh, quite a bit. I do want to apologize to Top Gun Maverick because apparently Penny was referenced. The character Penny, uh, played by Jennifer Connelly. She was referenced in the first movie. She was the Admiral's daughter. No kidding. Yes. And now if those characters were the same ages as the actress who played them, she would have definitely been underage. So Maverick would have been a sex criminal. Oh, no. In the podcast, I'm like, why is this bar owner so up on everything that's going on in the Navy? And I guess it's, you know, she's got a network of people because her, her dad was an admiral. What is she, the admiral's daughter? She's Louise. One last thing about Top Gun Maverick, Mac, While we're before we move on to the Woman King. I did want to address an email we got from a friend of the show. This is going to be from Joe P. He talked about a few things in that email, but one of them is he had a punch-up for Top Gun Maverick. And he thought Top Gun Maverick would have worked a little better if Tom Cruise had gray hair. What are, your, what are your thoughts on this, Mac? It says he looks like actor Tom Cruise, not Maverick the character. Gray hair would help us buy his character a little better. Uh, sure. I think that says a lot about the movie, that that's all it would take, where it's like, what if we just grade up his hair a little bit? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Which is weird, because he had gray hair in Collateral, and it felt weird. It did. It felt like that was going to come off at any second. Like, haha, I'm Tom Cruise. Yeah, but that was 20 years ago when Collateral came out. Different times. 18, The Woman King. One correction here for me, David. I talk about a scene where Naniska makes fun of her friend for using uh, some nuts to tell the future. And the original scene where she's like, not the nuts. <laughs> it happened earlier in the movie than how, where I said it in the podcast. So I know all you, you woman king nuts nuts out there probably yelling at your your phone or wherever you listen to your podcast when I said that error. I, I apologize to you. I'm glad you weren't on the Facebook group when that episode dropped because you would have just been savaged. Now, the woman king, it's interesting because if you look at the woman king number 11 and Desperado number 12, I was trying to think of like, why should woman king be above Desperado? And we've talked about this before. Obviously, character's motivation counts, right? Like if I'm rooting for someone in an action movie, you know, there's some emotional drama behind the action, some emotional weight that action's going to hit a little harder. And Desperado is a great movie. And I think they maybe the action scenes in Desperado overall are more interesting and more fun than the action scenes in Woman King. But the Woman King, and, and maybe it's just all Viola Davis just like carrying this movie. But for me personally, the emotion that she brings to that story, that movie hits a little harder for me than Desperado. You're absolutely correct. You know, going back to something that I just said a moment ago, where we do regard the connective tissue between action scenes. I think this movie, this movie is where it is on the mountain because this is the strongest example of how effective the connective tissue can be in relation to the action. Like the action isn't, it's not a splash page moment, as we've mentioned several times in the Pacific Rim episode. But, you know, it's not something that sticks with you or something where you're like, oh, my God, where this happened. That's so crazy. It's very solid action throughout, but it works because you care about the characters, because you've you followed them and they've been engaging. And like, this is the best example of that kind of movie. I think it is. It's going to take a movie that's written in a very special way to top that. Because we definitely understood why Naniska wanted to take down her opponent in the movie, whereas with Desperado, we were very confused. At least I was like. <laughs> It's like, wait, why does uh, Desperado want to take down Bucho so much? But Pacific Rim, which is currently sitting above the Woman King, even though did I have an emotional investment in Giant Robot number three beating Giant Kaiju number eight? Not really. But when it is done in such a spectacular fashion, it is hard to deny. <laughs> you know, it's like the best Renelli and Smith song sometimes cannot hold up to just like the fattest ACDC lick. You know what I mean? 
<laughs> I do one hundred percent. Rest in power, my Moody King. Bon Scott. <laughs> no, it's Smith. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think he killed himself with a knife. He stabbed himself in the chest. Stabbed himself. Stabbed himself in the chest. Yeah. God damn. Figure that out. He wanted out. I guess so. Man, life sucks. But you know what doesn't suck? The Woman King. I like when you segue out of things that are clearly not going to go into the episode. What? That's going in there. That's going in there. <laughs> Number 19, Punisher Warzone. <laughs> David, there's rumors going around that we're going to rename this podcast Punch Mountain colon Warzone. Not true. That'll be the third title that we do. That's going to be the, the third monthly just to squeeze some more cash out of it. Punisher Warzone was another movie that inspired me to track down some comics that I have not read yet. I did not buy them, though. <laughs> but yeah, I'll let you know. I'll let you know when I read them. Episode 20, Roadhouse. The first cut of this podcast was, what, two hours? It was 204, I think, yeah. So we had a lot of thoughts about this movie. We probably could talk forever about it in a way. But yeah, one thing that we cut out is, is a little discussion about the cooler power structure. Dalton is like, I'm the cooler, you're the bouncers. You know, you follow my lead. And we were talking about how it is cool that people would care enough about their jobs to give themselves titles and have respect for each other and this kind of thing. And then it kind of reminded me of the way that in kitchen staff, it's like, I'm chef, you need to respect me. But how sometimes that feels like that gets used as just another chance. Like, oh, look, I created a new power structure. Here comes some abuse, right? Yes. I, I've created a way for me to treat more people like shit. You call me cooler. You know, like the way that people are like, you call me chef. I don't care how long you've been working this Long John Silver's. Okay, you show me some fucking respect. It is so weird how like stressful job environments can create that out of a vacuum where it's just like, I need to feel like I'm taking orders. That's the only way I could justify what I do in at this Cracker Barrel. Yeah. And again, like, you know, showing respect for someone's experience and their ability and the amount of work they put into something. I am all for that. But if you're giving, handing out job titles to basically recreate the Stanford prison experiment, you know, where you're like, <laughs> then you're fucking up. So, and I did not get that vibe from Roadhouse. Good for you, Dalton. You know, we were talking at some point about a, a really cool shot that we liked in the movie, and you mentioned the DP, Dean Cundy. You know, gave him a shout out. That night to relax, I put on an episode of The Mandalorian. Who should I see shot that episode? Dean Cundy. No kidding. Still getting it done. Dave, the most difficult part of doing this episode was trying to ignore our jokes for it. And by that, I mean Roadhouse was a movie that we mocked as part of Master Pancake Theater. Watching this movie, specifically your old jokes would just come back to me. And I would just have to like try to kind of block them out of my mind. But I do want to shout a couple out. But before I do, David, are there any jokes from this movie that stuck with you? I'm not asking about my jokes, I mean, specifically your jokes. Because I think this really, Roadhouse, in terms of um, a show, was really like a David Hotta showcase. Oh, thank you. That's awesome. Uh, you know, I, well, I'll say, you know, the, the feeling is mutual. Like, I heard your jokes and I heard John and Joe's th jokes throughout, in my head, throughout the show. Um, I think the one that kept coming back to me was when the morning after Dalton fires the bartender, Pat, and Carrie Ann comes over. She's carrying uh, the coffee and the bag of pastries. I had a joke in the show where I said, uh, Dalton, I brought a paper bag. I wanted to see if you can act your way out of it. And I've just always enjoyed that one. <laughs> one of yours that, that stayed with me was uh, when we first meet Brad Wesley and he was like, oh, going to clean up the double deuce. Good. Bad element. And in my head, immediately, no respect for neckerchiefs is what I hear from Mac Blake. <laughs> Brad Wesley had one. <laughs> That's right. There's a John Earler joke where he, Dalton, um, breathes some smoke out of his nose. And John goes, Dalton's a fucking dragon, man. And just the way he ramped up on fucking dragon. I end up saying that a lot. The number one joke of yours, which I can't, I'll never shake it, 
it's when this lady gets up on the table. It's like night one of Dalton's new, the new Dalton regime. Uh-huh. And this lady, for no reason, gets up on the table and starts dancing. <laughs> Do you know what you say there? Shoots. Like, I got to let my pussy breathe. Uh, you got to sell it better than that, okay, David. Okay, okay. All right, then. <laughs> I got to let my pussy breathe. <laughs> <laughs> Because she's like fanning her skirt. Yeah. It does seem like she's trying to get some some airflow up there. <laughs> it's just, it's the best. You know what? While, while we're talking about pancake memories, I do want to give like a little uh, bonus content, a little behind the scenes, because, you know, I'll, I'll check in on the Master Pancake streams on Twitch every now and then. And I'm, I'm happy to see that the phrase, hey, listen, has lived on beyond me. So I wanted to give a little origin story into Hey Listen, and I think this might be something that you remember, Mac, because I will never forget it. Well, for people who don't know, Hey Listen, I mean, at least what it's become is if we're doing a Master Pancake show, the sketches we do in the middle are not sketches, they're skits, as aptly defined by Joe Parsons. Sometimes they're written out, but then usually that script is like forgotten or thrown out the window, and we're just trying to like... (laughs) get through this previously discussed it goes off the rails so fast in order to refocus we'll go hey listen it's become part of like the master pancake language and i in my mind it originated with you playing brad wesley in the roadhouse sketch but you have some more insight it was a specific show it was a show we did in houston we took roadhouse down to houston the beats of the skit go that i'm brad wesley and you know when we would do this at the ritz i was there to take over sixth street i was there to take over you know i would just name stupid bar names the dizzy yeah. rooster or whatever the heck yeah the moose knuckle which i thought was a made-up bar for the longest time and then realized <laughs> no you that was a fucking real it probably still is that's right so you know we're going down to houston to do the show they're not going to get sixth street references so i had a chunk from my old stand-up days where i would talk about uh greens point mall the mall that i used to go to when i was a kid so i just decided well shoot i'm gonna do this chunk it's relevant to the part of houston that we're doing the show man this material killed it did so well to the point where like I would have to bring the audience back onto the road. So I would have to reset with, Hey, listen, <laughs> you know, this sticks out to me because, and I think you've made mention of this before. I'm not putting words in your mouth. I look over at one point and you're literally rolling on the floor laughing. <laughs> and that I, I, it's a highlight of my career. <laughs> to be fair. I think I, I, I didn't laugh myself over onto the floor. I was already laying down. Oh, you weren't standing up and fell. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah <no. laughs> I easily was rolling over laughing because I, I do remember <laughs> you're like, hey, local reference. And the, that crowd being like, what? <laughs> Absolutely destroyed. So there you go. The Hey Listen origin story. There you go. Yeah. Forged in fire. David, speaking of jokes, I owe this movie and a fucking apology because there's a scene here that I called out and I think I was wrong about this. Now, let's listen to the audio here. And this is Super Bouncer, Wade Garrett played by Sam Elliott, who walks in on Dalton getting a beatdown by Brad Wesley's men. How you like that, coach? How's it going, mijo? Mind your own business, Dad. David, because I was like, calling him Dad is so weird. You should call him Granddad. In my mind, I was interpreting that as Sam Elliott getting pushed back because he's like, mind your own business, Dad. Meaning like, I'm sorry we're not behaving. David, I was not paying attention because uh, Wade Garrett says, how's it going, mijo? Spanish mm-hmm. for my boy or my son, right? Yes, of course. And so the fact that he said, mind your, what, how's it going, my son? And then mocking him, Morgan says, mind your own business, dad. I underestimated Morgan. The fact that he just made a bilingual burn, pretty impressive. For Morgan, Terry Funk? No. 
you're, you're doing you're doing work for the movie. It adds up, David. He, I mean, like it's a look. It's a bump set spike. So, how do you think he acquired this knowledge? Do you think it's a Duolingo, or do you think he like uh, works somewhere? I think he works somewhere. I think he definitely spent some time in Mexico to like he cooled his heels down there while some like charges went away. Oh, sure, yeah, the hard drive went missing. He, he was like drinking with some friends and maybe pushed a dude off a bridge, and he's like. I'm going down to TJ for a while until <laughs> F- Federales can't follow me down there. Now, Dave, we, uh, Joe P., Joe Parsons from Master Pancake, mm-hmm. alum, he sent us another message about Roadhouse. Do you want to read his message here? I do. Hey, guys, I wanted to provide some insight. <laughs> <laughs> wow. How dare you like our show, Joe? I wanted to provide some insight into the character of Emmett in Roadhouse. The line, it's not the money, but if I don't charge you something, the Presbyterians will pray for my ruination, means that if he had a male tenant that didn't pay, the church would think he was gay, which he totally is. See, we brought this up because that line confused us. And we're like, what's going on with the Presbyterians? Are they some weird capitalism cult? I don't know if we cut out of the episode or not, but we did question, like, is it because the Presbyterians are going to think he's gay? What do you think about this? Emmett being gay, specifically. Well, you know, I know for a fact we did cut this out because we actually, this could have been a, a longer conversation about the homoeroticism in the movie in general. But I think we kind of felt like we were out of our depth. Uh, so we cut a lot of that out. But as far as the conversation at hand, since it's being brought up, I think there's something there. It was an idea that we chased and it makes sense now. Yeah, because there's a scene where Patrick Swayze is doing Tai Chi. Emmett is staring at him and we're like, Emmett seems like scared by it or something. Like he just a look on his face. And the idea that like Emmett is gay and he's living in a part of the country where that could be a, a risk for him, like a danger for him to live his life as his true self. And maybe he's like repressed his true emotions here. Patrick Swayze <laughs> being, I guess, so fucking hot. <laughs> well, these emotions are uh, are coming bubbling up for me. And it's interesting, Dave, because we, de- again, we definitely talked about it. The idea of maybe Emmett being gay, but Roadhouse is not a movie I had faith in that could put that kind of depth on a side character. You know what I mean? I'm with you all the way. I think where I where I opened up to the possibility of it is the part in the movie where... Dalton and Wade Garrett are kind of, you know, getting ready to come to blows where Wade wants Dalton to pack up and Dalton wants to fight Wade. And Wade's like, I love you, Miho. I was not expecting that kind of tenderness and that kind of depth from an action movie, especially one that has been held in such high regard as like a macho action movie. But, you know, but viewing it in that regard, there's there's a possibility there. I just don't think I was expecting a progressive script in 1989. If that is true, if Emmett was a gay character, then man, Roadhouse. The fact that you gave this side character, I don't know, just that emotional current, hats off. That's amazing. So, David, during this podcast, there is a scene where Morgan, played by Terry Funk, and uh, his crew of uh, goons, they were smashing a bunch of uh, liquor bottles, including a case of Drambuie. And you and I uh, wondered out loud uh, if any of our listeners still drink Drambuie. Mm. And if so, reach out. And sure enough, David, somebody reached out. That's amazing. Wow. And this person's name is Chris... And Chris said, hi, Mac and David. We always keep a little bottle of Drambuie in the house to make my favorite tiki drink, the Kingston Club. It's delicious. Let me know what you think, perhaps, quote unquote, live on pod. <laughs> live on pod. I love how I live, David, on pod. <laughs> I don't know if you, you saw me bring this stuff in, but David, I have all the ingredients right here to make a Kingston Club. I'm going to make it. It was fun. It was like watching like a morning show. You're getting set up for a cooking set. Yes. Uh, usually I bring in uh, just one kind of liquor, Everclear, because I like to make my bucket punch. <laughs> By the way, David, this is easily the most expensive drink I ever had because buying all these bottles was not cheap. So this better be good because it'd be nice to keep making this and not just pour this 
$30 bottle of Drambuie down the drain afterward. I, I was going to do it as well. I was going, I put in some effort, but the place I went to, they didn't have Fernet, and then I just ended up on a list. So the first is uh, an ounce and a half of uh, Drambuie liqueur. I'm going to pour that in a shaker here with some ice. I am getting alcohol on my computer desk. <laughs> Not the first time, won't be the last. <laughs> One and a half ounces of pineapple juice, freshly squeezed. Mine is Storbat. How are you going to, going to experience the Tahitian hammock, the way it's meant to be, or whatever it's called? Kingston Club, David. <laughs> Thank you. Three quarters ounce of uh, lime juice. I, I hope my listeners are, my listeners, I hope our listeners are writing this down. A sixth of a fluid ounce uh, of Fernet liqueur, which I do not know what Fernet is. It, it's it's a liqueur that tastes like it sounds. I wonder if it's named after that one uh, uh, fraggle, Fernet. I think it is, that alcoholic fraggle, yeah. And then three dashes of Angostura aromatic bitters. One of these days I gotta try bitters on its own because I have no idea what it tastes like uh, by itself. It, I think it might just be Worcestershire sauce. I feel like I have done that, but I was at a point where I couldn't taste anything and uh, I don't remember what it tasted like. Now, shake the first five ingredients with ice and strain into a uh, ice-filled glass, adding soda as you pour. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Now, if any ASMR people get off to uh, the sound of an ice shaker, hopefully you support our um, OnlyFans. <laughs> Chris. Smells good. This is in a Collins glass, which I happen to own. I don't know how the fuck that happened. That's an actual honest-to-God Collins glass. Good for you. Oh, that's good. That's good. It's definitely sweet, but not too sweet. I mean, I get the tinky drink appeal. This is good. Kingston Club. Thank you, Chris, for sharing that recipe. Now, did it tell you to use the, the funnel? How oh, to make a Kingston Club bong? Yeah. That was all Mac. <laughs> uh, verdict, uh, delicious. I may have to uh, get drunk after this and keep, keep on drinking. Thank you, Chris. Number 21, Pacific Rim. I liked it. We talked in the episode that, like... We like the universe, we like the world that it built, and we wanted to see more of it, so I went out and started watching Pacific Rim Uprising. I have not finished it yet. I'm looking forward to finishing it. David, me too. I went out, uh, I went out to my TV, uh-huh. and I entered in the download code. No, uh, and I started watching it, and I think it was just about to get interesting when I started getting sleepy. It kind of was like an awkward, clunky starter, but then again, so was Pacific Rim. It was awkward and clunky, but at the same time, it made sense to me that there is a more popular universe of this out there that I'm comprehending. Because I don't know how far you got to the movie, but I think by, you know, even a few minutes in, you you could establish that the characters are going to skew younger. It's almost like a Jaeger Academy. So they're going with more teens. I'm, I'm about halfway through the movie. I got to the part where you reveal who the real villains are. But like from what I've seen so far, the main gal, forgive me for not knowing her name, but she's she can't be more than a, you know, 15 or 16. She's dynamite. And, you know, if they're going to base the movie off of her, I get it. Yeah. And uh, I love John Boyega. Uh, so I was definitely enjoying his performance as well. Yeah. We'll finish it one day. Yeah. One day. Maybe uh, in time for inventory episode number nine. <laughs> episode 22, Birds of Prey. Now, Mac, I owe you an apology, and I'd like to make a correction here and see if I can uh, do this again. Or, you know, I asked you a question about Bruce Wayne and his philanthropy or whether, you know, his what he does with his money. Could he bribe judges, that sort of thing? And uh, I feel bad <laughs> that, I, that I may have upset you or something like that. So let me ask the, the question a different way. What's your favorite, like, off-the-wall Batman storyline? Because I guess at the root of what my question was was, like, 
in the same way that everything has been a Simpsons episode or the same way that everything has been a South Park episode by now, Batman's been around 80 years. Like, where, how far has the barrel gone with Batman? David, as Frank Miller said, I think I goofed up this quote last time, but his quote is, there are 50 different ways to do Batman and they all work. One of my favorite periods of Batman is this Grant Morrison run where he took like all the crazy shit and Batman is like, let's just own it all and like put it out there. And, you know, it, it's, you see Batman like, starting up a league of international Batman, you know, with like the shining Knight in UK and other international uh, Batman as well, including there was like a bad manga series that, you know, was not part of the DCU like canon, but he's like, fuck it. We'll go there. And I forget the villain's name, but his name was like Mr. Deathman or something like that. Poorly translated. But yeah, it was a really like kooky run. However, David, in terms of like off the wall, not on purpose, this, there was a cartoon that came out around this same time called Batman the Brave and the Bold. And it's the first time Diedrich Bader did the voice of Batman, which he does in the Harley Quinn cartoon. But that cartoon, man, it is nuts. And then there's one moment, though, which I just was like, hey, fucking cool it. Batman Brave and the Bold. It's when they have Batman travel back in time to, and this is like the cold open of the episode, to the invasion of Normandy with Sergeant Rock, team up with Sergeant Rock and Easy Company. That famous invasion of Normandy, the Battle of uh, Omaha Beach, right? Mm-hmm, you yes. saw in uh, Saving Private Ryan. This episode has Batman basically uh, winning the day for the Allies. Ah, uh, nah, man. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Real people died. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, real people tur- got turned into hamburger to yeah. fucking win that battle. And I'm not some like military fetishist, but at the same time, I was like, don't tell kids that was Batman's doing. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like, hey, this is something you could both enjoy. Grandpa, get in here. Let's watch this. I'm like, no. I picked up my friend's guts. <laughs> well, Batman did it, and he didn't even have to kill any Nazis. He just batter-egged him. Uh, yeah, but that actually, that cartoon is, is pretty fun. There's a lot of, like, really fun stuff that they cram in there. It's another thing where they kind of embrace all those weird things. Like, Batmite shows up. Ace the Bat-Hound is in it, not voiced by Kevin Hart. So that's a win. Jesus, okay. But David, one of the things you liked about the movie was the uh, Huntress origin. The idea that she was a member of a crime family that got gunned down, and she was she was trained by some assassins. And you were on board, and I was like, I was like, oh, superhero origins are all kind of clunky. I should mention it was a vast improvement over a comics origin, which she is the alternate Earth daughter of Batman. Speaking of clunky origins, the fact that uh, this movie would have had to been like, hey, real quick, there's parallel Earths. Stick with it. <laughs> Good call. Movie. That is wild. Yeah. You know, I don't have too much to say, too much else to say about Birds of Prey. I generally really like this movie. Um, I hope more people see it. I will say there was one YouTube video that helped me articulate my thoughts about this movie. Uh, I'll give them a plug right now. It's going to be Cold Crash Pictures, and the video is going to be called It Has Come to My Attention. You don't all love Birds of Prey. It's like 20 minutes long. It's very charming, but it helped me a lot. That's a great title. The video is 27 minutes long. I'll admit, David, I'm a bit of a hypocrite because the idea of watching a 27-minute video, I'm like, 27 minutes of fucking shit. David, this this podcast is going to be nine hours long. (laughs) But I can listen to it while I do other stuff. Yeah. You want me to look at something for 27 minutes? I don't know. I don't know. You know what? I might actually, because that's a super funny title. The kids have figured out YouTube. They know how to they know how to make videos while you're doing dishes. So it's it, it's pretty good. That is true, David. People consume media uh, not like me. I'm an old man. But one last thing I wanted to say about Birds of Prey, and I th- I think we either didn't talk about it or we talked about it and cut it out. The writer of this movie, Birds of Prey, uh, Christina Hodson, also wrote another underrated movie. That's gonna be Bumblebee. The transfer. Did you ever see Bumblebee, Mac? Yeah, I've seen it a couple times. Oddly enough, really enjoyable. 
Yeah, so I think, you know, if you're kind of on the fence about seeing Birds of Prey or Bumblebee for that matter, just know that the writer did both and, you know, maybe that'll sway you one way or the other. There's some story where Michael Bay is talking to the director of the Transformers movie, talking to Steven Spielberg, who produced it. And he's like, I can't get my head around this movie. Why did you agree to do it, Michael Bay? And Steven Spielberg goes, hey, just make the movie about a boy in his car. And that's your movie. If you saw the first Transformers movie, there's maybe that for a second, but there's so fucking much Michael Bay and so much bet, 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 bet from Shia LaBeouf that it, it gets lost. Bumblebee is that. It is about a teenager, Haley Steinfeld, and her car. The connection that that means, you know, like, because it's connected to her dad because they used to work on cars together. So this tone that Michael Bay tried to hit and that did not come within a country mile of Bumblebee nails. Yeah, I, I highly recommend Bumblebee. But Bumblebee at this point is also what the six Transformers movie. <laughs> yeah. So if you're asking someone after five fucking Michael Bay pieces of shit uh, to watch the six Transformers movie, the fact that Bumblebee wasn't a huge hit. Oh, I get it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but also it's got a robot voiced by Michelle Yao in it. Hey, there you go. And everything everywhere at all once. So was she a robot at all in one of the multiverse? I wouldn't doubt it, honestly. If not, blown opportunity, Daniels. <laughs> blown opportunity. Take back the Oscar. Episode 23, Desperado. Fun movie. Really want to see more bloody movies like this one. This is another episode where we cut out some stuff where I, I just am like piling on a little bit because I'm talking about Robert Rodriguez, who has had a lot of misses. But the anecdote that I, I said during the episode was I was watching an episode of The Mandalorian I think it's the one where you see Boba fight. Uh, he returns and he actually fights. I remember commenting to my feral wife at the time. I was like, man, why does this action look so junky? And then sure enough, Robert Rodriguez directed it. Now that uh, I'm not worried about overdunking on him, I do want to say that he can direct some real junky action scenes. If- I'm sorry. You accidentally called him Boba fight. And that is so much better to me. Did not realize it, but I'll stand by it. Oh, and another uh, correction, David. I said that the Latino dudes in my high school were really excited about Desperado. I should have clarified, it was Latino dudes in my high school theater arts class where I remembered people talking about it. That is a giant distinction. Yeah, okay, that really, thank you for that. I wasn't walking down the halls, people weren't chanting uh, or singing all those Los Lobos songs. <laughs> the kids are going crazy for Desperado. Episode 24, RoboCop 2. One of the questions we kept asking ourselves during the episode was like, why a RoboCop 2? What are we getting out of this? Like, what, what story is there to tell? And I, I think I, I think I might have hit on something, Mac. So I was editing the episode, and there was a chunk of, of audio where I sound very stilted. And I'm like, I'm trying to sell you on the virtues of RoboCop. I'm, I think that RoboCop would be a very good addition to your city. And in my head, I thought, well, geez, it sounds like I'm running for RoboCop. RoboCop 2032, Mac. This is going to be my pitch for the movie. So let's say we're in the future. The, the citizenry has accepted OCP and RoboCop as, as this you know fact of life. To the point where they have to elect people to be RoboCop. And so they have to like decide, oh, this person is of good virtue. We'll give them a lifetime appointment to be a RoboCop. Well, let's say this, this millionaire, this Cretan who's been around since like the 80s, he decides, I'm going to run for RoboCop. He sounds something like that. He's like, I'm going to run for RoboCop. Uh, and so he gets elected. But it turns out the election was rigged. And it turns out he threw like a, a migrant worker into the RoboCop, and it's like, you can't do that. You uh, you can't throw somebody in there whose brain isn't prepared to be RoboCop. They're going to go crazy. Wait, so he actively wants to have his brain put in a robot body? He, that's what he's telling people, but he's actually going to, like, he's not going to, okay. he's too chicken shit to even be in the robot body. He puts somebody else in there and, like, tries to sell off RoboCop to, like, do 
basically organized crime work for other syndicates. Oh, this president might be a Russian asset. I don't know if we've explained that in the movie. It might be too unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I think there's something there. Wow. It's like Shirley Jackson's The Lottery uh, also ripped from today's headlines. Thank you for letting me go on that walk. So we talked about how the script was written by Frank Miller and that the studio deemed it unfilmable and that he worked on it with another writer. But everyone hated this fucking script. Peter Weller hated the script. Nancy Allen, who played Lewis, hated the script. Irvin Kirshner, the person who directed it, especially hated it. And so the question is like, why did they stick with this script? Were there no other options? In the, there were. I, I don't. Uh, I don't get it. And then why, if they hated it so much, did they bring in Frank Miller for RoboCop three? And so they turned his original script into a comic book. They adapted it. And I was like, you know what? I'll read this this script. And this is the comic I actually did have time to read, because the idea of like, oh, okay, is this script, which was apparently unfilmable and everyone hated it, the original draft, is it? indeed just like a gonzo piece of writing uh, it was ahead of its time and uh, reading this comic uh ooh, yikes this thing is a fucking mess david and i can definitely see why it's like unfilmable the beginning of it is definitely just like a lot more mean-spirited the violence in it just, just seems meaner the fun satire elements kind of come later it's it's a weirdly structured story and, and granted this is a screenplay that was adapted by another writer into a comic and the art in the book is by juan jose rip at least the uh, the line art and he's kind of like, like a version of Jeff Darrow. And Jeff Darrow did a couple other um, Frank Miller comics. He also was a storyboard artist in The Matrix. And the art feels like that, like super hyper detailed. And so every time someone gets shot, you de it's definitely very graphic in the comics. So that probably was uh, helping oversell the violence a little bit. But David, I was about to like figuratively like toss this thing into the fire. But much like RoboCop 2, the second half of this comic, wait, now I'm into this. The comic <laughs> actually does some stuff that the movie was not able to pull off, which it like, I get a cleaner sense of who RoboCop is. It does completely like flush the RoboCop one movie story out the window or down the toilet. I don't know how you, your, your toilets work. Mine, uh, you crap out a window. Mac, I think you bought a bad house. It's possible. The comic does give Lewis a lot more to do. When we first meet Lewis in RoboCop one, Nancy Allen, she's like beating the shit out of a perp. The movie is telling us like, Hey, Allen's a fucking badass, right? Or Lewis is a fucking badass. And then in RoboCop 2, she's kind of useless. She's just there to be like, RoboCop. But in the comic, again, she's like a complete total badass. However, also in the comic, I hope this is not in the original script. Her clothes over the course of the comic basically get like shot off. What on earth? <laughs> I know. To the point at the end, she's fighting in her underwear. Like Frank Miller, he definitely writes a lot of like femme fatale and over the top sexual characters. But I'll give him a little bit of the doubt where... I don't think he would have done that. I'm going to put that on the people who adapted the screenplay into the comic. It is ridiculous. Uh, but there's also some stuff in the comic that got pushed into RoboCop 3, like the film. So at first reading it, I was like, this is trash. But then the more I read it, I was like, this is actually it's interesting. And it, it does some stuff I wish the movie had done. <laughs> I don't know if RoboCop 2 is essential viewing. And I definitely don't know if this comic is essential reading. And yeah, it is mega violent. Even for like pieces of drawings on paper, it's in insanely violent. I'm just excited to see Frank Miller's adaptation of the movie Zapped. I think he's really got a handle oh on the material. Yeah, but there is no nuke in it. The killer robot is not horny for drugs the way he is in RoboCop 2. So I will say the script for RoboCop 2, better than the RoboCop 2 Frank Miller comic. Weird. It's not some lost classic, but it may be like, I don't know, RoboCop exploitation. Is that a thing? It might be. <laughs> Thank you for your service on that one. And that, David, was episodes 13 through 24.
All right, David, there's normally where we would do punch-ups where, but we don't really have punch-ups. We do have some kind of things that maybe punch-up adjacent. I just want to hear these sound effects. Okay, David, looking back in these 12 movies, of all 12 of them, what is your favorite action set piece from these films? If you had to give a, a, a golden a mountain climbing uh, axe, you know, those, those mountain climbing axes? Oh, sure. Yeah, like the one in The Price is Right, the guy that, that mountain yeah, climber yeah, yeah. has. Which, which action set piece would win your, uh, your golden punch axe? Of 13 through 24, I got to go with I gotta go with the third act of Top Gun Maverick, which is, uh, you know, sort of a Cinderella story for the way I treated it. But man, like the effort that went into making that and the execution of it and what you got out of it. Golly, I really enjoyed that. That's going to be my answer for that one. Do you, Mac, do you have an answer for that? Second place, I got to give to the, the fight scene in Yes, Madam that starts with Cynthia Rothrock and Michelle Yao giving each a high five and then just like wasting all those dudes. Especially when Michelle Yao's character takes on that uh, Borat impersonator, uh-huh. you know, doing flips and then like posing, like mm, maybe pull out your knife because you're not you're not doing very well. That was fucking awesome, but David. It's going to be hard to top the we fought a zoo sequence of RRR. That whole sequence, David, is just uh, is just so gonzo. It was great. It it is of legend. You know my. Uh, my Top Gun Maverick pick feels a little contrarian in comparison. I, I got nothing to say against RRR. That was a legendary scene. But no, David, that scene you're talking about is great because the movie did a really good job like stacking the odds against the team to even pull off the mission and then stacking the odds against Maverick in that like, oh, timey fighter jet, like him and Rooster against these fifth generation fighters. It's like, it's time for some pilot shit, Mav. Pulling that off, and even the, that like moment where you think Maverick is gonna fucking die, great. That's a great scene. <laughs> cool. It's an embarrassment of riches, David. You can't go wrong. All right, David. Now of episodes thirteen through twenty-four, let's talk about action heroes. Is there an action hero? Not not asking you like who's your favorite action hero, but is there a hero that you you wish you could see more of? Like whose continuing adventures would you love to see? I'm going to go with Dread, specifically Carl Urban's Dread. Now that I've seen the Sylvester Stallone version, like I think there is the ability to do a franchise or like you said, like an Amazon series or, you know, just something that will chronicle the further adventures of, even if it is just busting heads every week, like there's plenty of room in entertainment for a show where you just bust heads every week. I'd love to see more Dread. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, decades of Judge Dread comics, but yes, that Alex Garland created Dread World, Carl Urban. I also would love to have seen more of that. I had a clear number one, David, but that dread thing, that's, I would say that's like 1A. But number one, again, Michelle Yao's character from uh, Yes, Madam, just because I left that movie feeling like she was not the focus of the movie and I really wanted her to be. And so if there was a movie that got into her, that character's like personality, like her emotions, like where she's coming from, actually gave her some arc and some agency, I would have loved to have seen that. Oh my God, that would have been killer. I mean, you know, she delivers in the action. If you gave her more of an arc, it would have been a killer movie. Absolutely. But then maybe that's just stupid because maybe it's like, look, it's just a paper thin character. There's really nothing to hold on to. What I'm holding on to is Michelle Yao. If that's the case, then just check out some of her other movies. So, you know, I'm changing my answer. Dread. Yeah. All right, David, same question, but for a villain, what villain did you not get enough of, David? Like who would you have liked instead of being killed off in one movie or the story wrapped up? Who would you have liked to have seen elevated like a Thanos-style villain where they got to be taken down over a series of movies? I, w- I was very clear with this in the moment. I'm uh, My answer has not changed. Brad Wesley. Brad Wesley is an all-timer. Yeah, to see him like live on or like move to other towns or try to like acquire low-rent uh, you know, conquest where it's like, uh, the Sears is here because of me. Like, 
I, I would love it. I would love it so much. David, of course, my answer remains Looney Bin Jim from Punisher Warzone. <laughs> Can't get enough. By the irrepressible Doug Hutchinson. Sex criminal Doug Hutchinson. No, everything you said, I completely agree with. Uh, Brad Wesley, gone too soon. We got some questions to answer. Our audience has, uh, has been kind enough to ask us some questions. And we're going to address them now. I reserve the right to not answer these seriously. Go ahead, David. Okay. So let's start with Co Deering, who's going to ask the question, how do you feel about Richard Grieco's If Looks Could Kill? Oh. <laughs> I've never seen it. How do you feel about it, Co Deering, who I will pretend not to know? Cody, you're a man after my own heart. I like If Looks Could Kill. I'll say this. I could see If Looks Could Kill on the mountain one day. It oh. might take a few, a few hundred episodes, but like... I remember a few hundred. Well, I mean, if there, if there's audience interest, I'm willing to move it higher up in the queue. I'd have to take another look at it. I remember Linda Hunt being awesome. I remember the movie being okay. I remember Richard Grieco being by far the worst part of it. But uh, I wouldn't mind seeing that movie again. If and when we start a Patreon, I'll put it up for an audience vote. What movie should we do next? <laughs> if looks could kill, and then three John Wicks. That'd be a fun one. Yeah. Carrie Lindo asks, "What's the movie you both disagreed on the most?" I mean, do you, what do you think? I have an answer. Probably Passenger 57, yeah. What do you mean? I, what, what did you think about that movie? Well, you know, I didn't care. Like, I think of all the movies we've done, that's the one I would be least likely to revisit. Like, I've, I actually advocated for it below Chappie. Like, I wouldn't say that about any other movie there. Interesting. I also was lukewarm on it, but I was, like, hurt by it because I was really excited about it. <laughs> yeah. I would say Top Gun Maverick. Sure. To me, I was like, that was a rousing good time, and I don't think you were as into it. One thing I wanted to mention about The Woman King, something we disagreed on a little bit, is my overall problem with The Woman King, David, is that that movie was so good, I wanted it to be great. I think you were a little bit on more on board with it than I was, but I don't know if we disagreed, because I mean, uh, everything you said about it, you know, rang true with me. I think I think Maverick, Top Gun Maverick would be my answer, but I mean, you're obviously we disagree about this, which is, oh, the irony, mm, delicious. I was there with you with Maverick also. I think, you know, listening to the episode and, and thinking that I came across better than I meant or that I thought I did, uh, that sort of softened it a little bit. I, I said this in passing before we recorded those episodes, but there's honestly a part of me that wanted to make Top Gun Maverick and The Woman King like a two-part episode because they felt like they felt like bookends or they felt like kindred spirits in a lot of way. They They dealt with a lot of the same themes. They sort of carried themselves in, in similar ways. But yeah, I, th I think like of those two, you know, I was high where you were low and you were, you know, and vice versa. But yeah, I, I agree with your sentiment. Next question from ATX Megan. Do you ever feel like you want to review a non-action movie for a change just to mix it up? <laughs> ATX Megan, oh God, yes. Uh, for, for me, yes and no. Like I like talking movies with you. I don't know if I'd want to do episodes of them. Like action movies are so easy to talk about because you really can't get it wrong. But like, I could very easily feel stupid talking about a comedy or a drama or a horror movie that people like that I don't. Like, I, I'm not too inclined to do it. I mean, that's the thing. If, if sometimes ATX Megan, I don't know if your question is inferring this or not, but if sometimes you're like, man, I like this podcast, but I'm, I'm action movied out, that is totally fine. We understand that this is maybe a podcast that people will like leave and come back to, maybe depending on the title, and that is okay. But along the lines of your question, I do want to watch some non-action movies that that urge or that desire is palpable for me just because I don't want to start getting bored of action movies. And I don't think we are. I don't want to take like stuff for granted. That sounds so weird. I get you. Like for example, you know, speaking of taking things for granted, Terminator 2, that was a movie that we like seen so many times previously to this episode, you know, and, and maybe we were talking about action movies. Maybe we wouldn't, but watching that 
we ended up, or at least I ended up looking at it through fresh eyes and finding a new appreciation for it. I want to be able to keep that appreciation and I, I don't want to take it like burned out by overloading on action movies, which uh, so far has not happened. I, so far, I'm, I'm still having a lot of fun. Same here. And then, yeah, in my personal life, you know, I'll watch enough uh, weepy period pieces to where I, uh, you know, I can uh, get in touch with both sides of my personality, uh, uh, crying and uh, also a violent crying. Well, I'll say this as one final footnote. I think this... I think this whole podcast started because of a discussion about the movie Don't Look Up. I think that was really, at least for me, it was, it kind of clicked in place. I was like, oh, I actually do like talking about movies with Mac. I think this could be something. Oh, because no, I asked you. That's right. Because it's, it was a movie where I was like, I don't know if I want to watch this. It might bum me out because it's a topic I don't need to be reminded of. Uh Like I already have enough anxiety about climate change. I don't need to be sold on it. And I was like, should I watch it? Let me ask David. And David's yeah. like, I will watch it for you. And then you did, which I appreciate. I will be your movie scout. Jay Sterling Pound has a twofer. Uh, his first one's going to be, of all the films you've covered, who would win a battle royale between lead characters? Well, a caveat, this movie has to take place on Earth and not in The Matrix. Because if we were all plugged into a computer simulation, obviously Neo would win. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to beat the dudes from RRR because at the end of the movie, they get superpowers. Exactly. Like, I mean, with the exception of the T-800, I think, you know, if you're going to count Termi, then he'd blow everybody away. But like, if you're counting human beings, yeah, Ramaraju and Komaran Beam, I, I would have to say, I would have to agree with that. Could they beat RoboCop? God damn, what a dumb conversation. <laughs> Oh, uh, why wasn't Ready Player One a better movie? I know those answers could be already put to bed. All right, next question from Jay Sterling Pound. Oh, wait, hold on, could he be Robo? No, <laughs> they'd, they'd find a way. They lifted up motorcycles. They'd rip off. They'd get so mad at the end. They'd be like, "Oh my god!" They'd be like catching bullets in their teeth. Second question from Jay Sterling Pound: Sickest finishing move: throat rip, dropping off building, pulling hard out. Other. I'm going to go with the throat rip. I think the throat rip is so uniquely Dalton's. I think if I were to see it in another movie, I'd be like, oh, that's Dalton's move. To me, it kind of depends on the line you say afterwards. I Because I, I I want a good kill line. Ripping a heart out. That's hard to do. You got to get through a sternum. That would take a while to do. So I don't know about it. You know what? Just for the, the surprise factor of it, because no one expects it. If I'm finding a dude, I'm like, oh, this guy's probably going to cut my head off with a sword. I'm not, I don't think he's going to rip my throat out. Oh, he had a sword. I forgot to mention that. Oh, okay. Thank you for that. So yeah, I'd say uh, throw grip. Sickest finishing move out of those options. Thank you, Jay Sterling Pound. Yeah, great questions. Brian Gutman with the twofer. Uh, his first one's going to be, if it was up to you guys, who would be cast as Dalton in the Roadhouse reboot? I kind of like that idea of gender swapping it. I don't think Ronda Rousey is necessarily a very skilled actor at this point. May, who knows? Maybe she's been studying and taking some classes and uh, doing some off-Broadway stuff. That That's an interesting question. You know what? I, I don't know. Emily Blunt? I got two. I'm going to do a gender swap. I'm going to do a a race swap. So uh, my gender swap would be Charlize Theron is the Dalton. And then her her Wade Garrett is going to be Jodie Foster. Oh, interesting. Jodie Foster is a smaller person, though. I don't know why (laughs) Wade Garrett must be taller than Dalton. I don't know why that. That was in my head, like, you can't, that's an unbreakable law. No, you, yes, that doesn't matter at all. Yeah, I thought she would have been bigger. You know, if you want to go with people of color, then my Dalton is going to be Daniel Kaluuya because I really like the look that he gives in movies that he doesn't want to be there. And I think that is at the core of who Dalton is. He really doesn't want to be in Jasper, Missouri. I think his Wade Garrett is Wesley Snipes. Oh, interesting. I actually, when I have a serious answer for this, it's a co-star of Daniel Kaluuya's. Lakeith Stanfield, that dude, every time I see him, he's like very exciting. And I feel like we haven't really like gotten his full range yet. So, I mean, when they were talking about recasting the fantastic four i was like man i could see lakeith stanfield like pulling off of mr fantastic i could also see him being a dr doom sure so i mean he'd be interesting to, i think daniel clue is a great pick too but if i was going to gender swap i'd probably want somebody a little bit 
older. Like Amber Mid Thunder is a great ass kicker, but someone a little older should play Dalton. I don't know. That's a good question. The first thing that popped in my head it doesn't feel like a perfect answer, but Michelle Rodriguez. So yeah, I think she'd do a great Dalton. I mean, <laughs> but you also want those like maybe some yoga elements. <laughs> the also Patrick Swayze is a good dancer. I, I think Michelle Rodriguez is a good pick. You know, I was very like lukewarm on her early on in her career, but I'm very much in in favor of that idea. You know, it would be a terrible Dalton, uh, The Rock. No, forget that. Channing Tatum would, could make an okay Dalton, but just as long as there was more like grinding dancing. Ryan Gosling would make an exceptional Dalton. Oh, Ryan, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Goss man, so <laughs> you're not going to get a complaint out of me. Second question from Brian Gutman. Release the chappy cut. <laughs> maybe one day. Maybe one day we'll release the chappy cut. It's just us being like bummed out for <laughs> an hour and a half. Let's start hitting some milestones. Let's get into the 100s or 200s, and we'll start talking about releasing like com- like commemorative issues. Tell you what, if that Facebook group crosses over 50 fans, we'll talk about Chappy Cut then. We'll talk about it. Uh, Chris Brune uh, asks, Pete Keanu Reeves, Point Break or Speed? I just watched Point Break for Master Pancake a whole bunch, and he still feels pretty raw in that. I'm going to say Speed. I mean, Pete Keanu Reeves for me is Matrix, even more than John Wick. Because John Wick, I mean, that that feels like kind of, you know, a dude almost coming out of, I mean, that's the storyline is he's coming out of retirement. Out of those two, I'll say speed. Yeah, out of those two, I'll definitely say speed. I think overall, I would go John Wick because, you know, if you want to go with like the definition of peak as the culmination, uh, I think John Wick is the culmination of Keanu Reeves' career. I think it takes all of the elements of the stuff he's been working on up to this point. I'm a huge John Wick fan, so maybe I'm sort of, sort of showing my colors there. Watching Point Break a bunch for Master Pancake, it did not necessarily make me want to do it for Punch Man. The end of that movie, with the final fight on the beach at Bell's Beach between Bodie and Johnny Utah, is such a who-gives-a-shit fight. Like, it's just so unnecessary. And, like, it, it's happening in the rain. Johnny Utah's wearing <laughs> denim, so he's, like, fighting in soaked denim. It's just, like, a really sloppy fight. And at that moment, you're just like, just wrap it up. Yeah. But I mean, there's some other, there's some great, I mean, the, the backyard, the chase through the backyard is, is, is an awesome scene. It's a killer movie. I just don't know if it would go very high yeah. on the mountain. We'll talk about it one day. I mean, Catherine Bigelow, she deserves some, uh, some mountain uh, love. Oh, right. <laughs> that sounded weird, but you know what I mean. All right. Cranium Slows asks, how do I stop feeling guilty if I'm not feeling sad? It doesn't seem like a punch mountain question, but my advice to you, man, is just talk to some people about it. I don't know if you are in therapy right now, Cranium Slows. Uh, I talked to a therapist. It really helped. I don't know if this is true, but I feel like because of like TV, the way that therapy is portrayed in a lot of media, it seems like real confrontational. Like, oh, here's your problem. You know, not that someone's like angry. Yeah, I'll say about therapists the same thing I'll say about uh, action movies. They make them good now. Like, you know, they're really just there to help you navigate. They're not there to tell you what to think. They're there to listen to what you think and kind of help you make sense of it. So uh, I think that might be uh, a pretty good idea. Look, sometimes it's hard being honest with ourselves about emotions. Well, hey, shove that burden onto someone else. Be honest with them. And look, the other thing about my therapist is I, I get into some real boring shit with them and, and they got to they gotta listen to it. They got no choice. That's where the money comes in. Yeah, out. you can really just go into that Earth 2 origin for Huntress. Your therapist has to listen. They, they legally have to. All right. Uh, Sean Mason asks, what's a movie not on the list that should be? Oh, uh, man, so many. I mean, obviously, hopefully this list... <laughs> <laughs> one day we'll include every movie. There's definitely some movies that I'm excited to do, but I'm nervous about doing them. For example, I'm a huge fan of Atomic Blonde. When we do have guests on, I am saving that for a particular guest. I know someone's excited to talk about it. There's movies that are like some of my favorite action movies that I just, I kind of don't want to get to it yet. I don't know why. I'm like, I don't know if I'm saving it or if I'm nervous about it. Stuff like Blade 2 or Mad Max Fury Road. I mean, those things, obviously, Mad Max Fury Road should be on that list somewhere. 
and then you know we haven't even touched like a john wick so there, there's definitely some stuff that feels like glaring omissions and we're gonna try and, and get to all of them in, in short order yeah i agree with that you know there's a, there's scores of movies that i'm i'm dying to do just to you know share them with you or get a reaction out of you my answer though if like if the show were to just cut short abruptly if we were just ended at 24 episodes and you look at the body of work you could look at it and go that's a pretty good list. Where's Die Hard? I think my answer would be Die Hard. There's also some movies that they definitely have action elements, but to me, they're another genre first. Like the movie Heat, that uh, urban combat scene after the, the bank heist goes awry. That is a very thrilling, very tense scene. To me, for some reason, that movie in its entirety, I would put that squarely in crime. Crime action, sure, maybe, but it's it just feels like, because of that, I don't feel like a pressing need to do it. One, another movie like that, David, Aliens. For some reason, Aliens, it's definitely sci-fi, but would you say it's uh, it should, you know, we should figure out when to do that movie? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness, yeah. I think the only thing holding it back is we've already got a James Cameron movie. You know, for me, that's going to get into, while it's not strictly like a horror movie, I think that does open up the gateway to other movies that would be considered like horror action. You know, movies that are primarily horror, but they do have set pieces. They do have, you know, uh, choreography. They do have a lot of same of the same things that an action movie would. Another thing we talk about is if we're going to touch upon a certain director, franchise, series, actor, what's the best argument for them? We're going to do a Jackie Chan movie coming up. And right now I'm trying to figure out like, oh, should we do Police Story or Drunken Master? Like, what's the best argument for the Hong Kong Jackie Chan era? And something I want to get to, but I don't know what movie will be a good intro to it as an animated film. All right. Our old pal Poe Jarsons is going to ask, what action movies do you feel are off limits? Yeah, I don't know if I'd consider anything off limits. I think I just consider stuff that I'm in no hurry to get to. I think the closest I probably get to that, you know, I don't, I, I think we're in no hurry to do anything that's going to have problematic elements. Yeah. As much as I love Charles Bronson, I don't see Death Wish getting on this mountain anytime soon. Class of 1984, I don't see us talking about that. It's just, it's not worth it to spend time on something that's going to leave our audience maybe feeling, uh, uh, you know, not entertained or, you know, feeling kind of gross about what they just did. One of the movies I want to get to at some point is Road Warrior, because I think that's an amazing, like, super ahead of its time action movie. But Mel Gibson in general, people like that who have just espoused these, like, hateful beliefs. Like, I'm in no hurry to do the Lethal Weapon movies, because I just associate that so much with Mel Gibson. Whereas Road Warrior, I'm able to put that more into like a, what's his name? The director there. Uh, George Miller. Yeah, the George Miller camp. Yeah, you know, I don't want to feel gross celebrating someone, but at the same time, I don't want to say never say never. I think it's really just a matter of us getting better at being critical, honestly. I think us building an audience that knows, hey, we're going to talk about the Road Warrior, not necessarily in glowing terms towards Mel Gibson, but we're going to talk about this as a work of art. Yeah. Uh, so let's go from Instagram to Twitter. We got a couple there. Trey Bouchard is going to ask, is there a popular action movie that you refuse to review out of sheer spite? You know what? No, but I am spite driven though. Uh, well, I don't know if spite drives me as much as it used to in my 20s and 30s. I'll tell you what, I think the closest we probably came is Top Gun Maverick because that was a movie that was wildly popular, but I just didn't see myself getting into it. If it wasn't in the zeitgeist, if it wasn't nominated, I could have very easily just gone a number of episodes before I'd even got on my radar. <laughs> this is a great question. <laughs> there's a lot of popular like action movies that I know I'm not going to like, so I don't want to do them. But there's also some franchises that I don't have an interest in, but because there's now so many of them, I'm just like, fuck, I'm doing them. I will do them out of spite in a way. Yeah. But that being said, uh, and those I can tell you two franchises right now. One is the Kingsman franchise. I don't give a shit about him, but it's like, you know what? Let's fuck, let's do one. You know, let's fucking mm -hmm. do it because I don't, I don't hate that director. 
And then the other one is the Has Fallen trilogy. <laughs> you know, at first I was like, I don't want to do these. But then we joked about doing one. And now, David, I cannot wait. I definitely am super excited to do a Gerard Butler action movie. Those movies are a fucking hoot. I I, I support oh, that 100%. Hell yeah, hell yeah. All right, one final question. This one's going to come from Tunzacon, let's say, is going to be the handle. Besides Cynthia Rothrock, who are some other B-list type action stars you're looking forward to seeing more of? Folks like Scott Adkins, Frank Grillo, maybe some other people who aren't white dudes. You know, David, somebody who popped into my head here to answer this question is someone who, it seemed kind of like a fluke at first, but then, you know, they make so many movies that it's like, okay, well, you know, they they deserve our respect. We need to talk about them. Uh, Mila Jovovich. In Fifth Element, it was like, oh, you know, kind of seemed like uh, a novelty or whatever that uh, Lilu could kick so much ass, like her character Lilu. But after like, I don't know, nine Resident Evil movies and like Monster Hunter, it's like, dude, she's got the fucking resume. Uh, yeah, I, I want to do a Mila Jovovich movie. And then Scott Atkins is someone I'm like wholly unfamiliar with. He apparently was in the first Doctor Strange movie. I didn't even realize it. So I definitely want to see um, him do some stuff too. Uh, you know, Mila Jovovich, that's, that's a perfect answer in the spirit of this. And along those lines, you know, maybe not out of left field, but Angelina Jolie is probably the biggest female action star uh, if you look at their body of work right now. So, like, I, we, we'd have to do one of hers at some point. Yeah, I mean, there have been three Tomb Raider movies. You you make three movies, the mountain looks your way, for better or for worse. But as far as, like, B-movie actors go, that's sort of why I wanted to do this show. I wanted to do the show to follow, you know, to go down a rabbit hole, where if we watch a Cynthia Rothrock movie, I'll give you a great example, actually. Um, there was a movie I had an opportunity to buy from a friend the other day called Millionaire's Express. It's going to be uh, directed by Sam Hung. It's got Cynthia Rothrock in it. But it also has Dick Way in it was a name that I recognized from Yes, Madam. And I was like, oh, shoot, that's, you know, I want to see more Dick Way movies. Uh, Billy Blanks, uh, Mark DeCascos. Those are a couple names who are like, you know, they got their careers off of things that aren't action movies, but they made a number of action movies. So, you know, just stuff like, you know, let's go discovering some people. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, Angelina Jolie, I guess, is not like a B-movie actor. The fact that a million names didn't come to mind shows that, yeah, we need to go out there and do a little exploration. Like I, I got some movies that I heard someone recommend. I just wrote down their title. And I'm like, I'm not going to look up anything about them because I want to go in fresh. And and look, we've barely scratched the surface of, you know, international action stuff. Uh, and that's going to be our questions and answers. Thank you so much to everybody who submitted something. Uh, if you have a question, uh, we're always available, punchmountain at gmail.com or catch us on the next inventory episode. God damn. Those are great questions. Seriously. Thank you so much, everybody. I did. We kind of tease this a little bit, but let's let's give people a taste of what's coming up. Specifically, we talked about how we've been padding the middle. It seems over these last twelve movies, and so what are we doing coming up here? Well, you know, we're gonna we're gonna see what we can do about that top of the mountain. So we're gonna go on a run of movies that we consider our mountain slayers. So, mountain slayers. Uh, these are gonna be ones that we normally save for ten pole episodes. You know, though every ten episodes we'll do a big movie. But let's just get them out of the way. Let's just do ones that we want to do episodes of or ones that we think have a shot at like toppling some of these top three or four of the mountain. Come episode 26, that's when we start with these. So what's going to be your first Mountain Slayer? Pick? My first Mountain Slayer pick, this is going to be from 1993, directed by Steven Spielberg. Mac, let's do Jurassic Park. Oh my God, that was the movie I was talking about. I'm nervous already. I'm nervous, but I'm excited to talk about JP. Yeah, okay. So uh, so then that's going to lead us to episode 27. Mac, do you have a pick for that one? Sure do. Hard-boiled. Whoa! John Woo, Chow Yun-Fat. Never seen it, David. Really? Oh, man, that's going to be a hoot. Yeah, okay. Ready to do it. Okay, so David, those are our mountain sling picks. Now, you have this other kind of pick category. 
Yeah, this is going to go back to what we introduced in the last inventory with uh, Punisher Warzone was was your pick and Dirty Dozen was my pick. Uh, I'm going to call these blue shell picks after our pal, uh, the number one movie in America, Mario. You know, it's going to be those movies that like would end up on the mountain eventually, but maybe we're just giving them a little push and kind of getting them to the front of the line. So Mac, my blue shell pick has been on my mind since we started this show. It, it was on my wish list. It was like one of these days I want to do an episode on this movie. And then after doing Pacific Rim, it just made a lot of sense. So Mac from 1989, directed by Stuart Gordon and currently on Pluto and Tubi, it's going to be Robot Jocks, Mac. We're doing Robot Jocks. I, I know nothing about this movie. I'm going to try and keep it that way before we watch it. It's a blast, man. Oh shit! Oh my god! Did you hear that sound? I did. That was the top. That was the top of the uh, shaker uh, that I made the Kingston Club in, shooting off the little thing that covers up the straighter part. What the fuck's in this thing, Chris? <laughs> it's like this little part, like shot off. Weird. Pure. Did you make me drink pure gasoline? Diablo. Okay, that's an exciting pick. What year is that from? Uh, it's gonna be nineteen eighty nine. You know, we're talking about Dread and talking about uh, Lena Hetty, and it reminded me of this other movie that she and Karen Gillan were in called uh, Gunpowder Milkshake, which uh, I never saw. It seemed a little John Wickish, where suddenly like everyone's an assassin. But you know what? It looked fun, and I meant to watch it, never did. So that is my blue shell pick. We'll get to Gunpowder Milkshake sometime in the next 12 picks. That's a perfect blue shell pick. That's a good one to look forward to. All right, Mac, I think that's going to wrap it up. Any final thoughts before we close out this episode? Well, David, I've, I've teased it. I got to actually do it this time. I want to tell our Houston story. Oh, my God. Okay, so we, David, I don't know what year this was, but you and I went to the city of Houston to see a baseball game. The Houston Astros, who you're a fan of, were squaring off against the visiting Chicago Cubs. I had never been to Minimated Park before, and you were excited to take me, and I was excited to go. And so we stayed in a hotel that was like downtown. And as we were walking to our hotel, we passed a bunch of people who were dressed nicely. A lot of uh, dudes in suits, a lot of uh, women in dresses. However, there's something about their nice clothes that struck me where it's like, these people are dressed nice, but these people are not people who dress nice. Like everyone was dressed nice, but not stylishly. And you and I would talk for a second and then we're like, I wonder if this is like a church thing. And David, there's seriously like so much foot traffic headed in one direction that we stopped a guy. I'm like, excuse me, sir, where's everybody going? And without missing a beat, this guy goes, come pray with me, brother. <laughs> and we're like, oh, no, that's okay. That's okay. So like, yeah, I confirmed it was a church thing. And you got to give this guy some credit. Like instantly, like, come pray with me, brother. Like he didn't even say where they were going. Walking the walk, talking the talk. And so we go to the baseball game and we have fun. Astros lose. Afterwards, we go to a bar and we're drinking some beer and doing, I don't know if we did shots or whatever. And we're walking back to our hotel. At this point, we both have to go to the bathroom. It's like, man, let's go take a leak in one of these hotels we're walking by, these fancy hotels. So we go in the hotel, but it's one of the hotels. I guess there's like some sort of a religious convention in town. That's where everyone was headed. And this hotel was like where the after party was. So we have to use the bathroom. We walk outside and then there's like a room where it's like Christian singles mixer. And you and I are like, let's go mix. Oh no. And so we go in there. I keep in mind, again, everyone is dressed up in like their Sunday best. You and I have on like sweat through plaid flannel shirts, <laughs> baseball caps on. And we're sitting there like just stealing so much food off of the plates. <laughs> They're having some like some, some past apps, David. And we're like, yeah, I'll take all of those. And we're like shoving our face and we're like talking to people like, are you see guys are in town? Are you like, you like Jesus? Me too. Here's the thing. No one bought it for one fucking second. <laughs> Every time we would go up and talk to somebody, we that space would instantly like clear out. And so we're like, let's get out of here. 
And so as we're walking, we pass a, a room that says prayer room. Now, David, I do not know what kind of Christians these people were, what kind of Christianity. At least I didn't. But then after seeing the sign for the prayer room, I started to get a better idea. It was, uh, the sign was on an easel and it was like a, you know, printed on, I'd say like two foot by three foot sign and said prayer room and it had pictures of people praying. But David, the people praying, I don't know if they're like, it's the kind of uh, Christianity where you like speak in tongues because everyone on the picture, imagine you had photographs of people on fire writhing in pain, but then Photoshop you took out the fire. <laughs> That's what the people look like. Everyone on this like prayer room sign was just like an agony, like screaming, praying. And we were like, Jesus Christ, let's steal this sign. <laughs> and so we stole the sign. And so we're walking back to our hotel. We're walking through downtown. I guess we didn't want to take a cab. Sure. And also we're, you know, we're, we're drunk. We're trying to walk it off. I don't want to say drunk. We're, we're definitely buzzed. We're carrying around this sign, but look, the novelty has worn off. Now I, I'm sick of carrying around a two foot by three foot sign. What do we do? Do we go back to the hotel and return it? No, David. We we're walking past a parking garage. We just chuck it in the parking garage. <laughs> At this moment, we're like, man, I'm hungry. You're like, me too. Keep in mind, I definitely had a hot dog at the game. We definitely, well, we didn't, we weren't in the singles mixer long, so we didn't need a lot of appetizers. And you're like, hey, when you get back to the room, you want to order pizza? And I'm like, David, you're a fucking genius. And as we're walking back to the hotel room, a dude on a bicycle stops right in front of us. And this guy goes, hey, I'm a pizza delivery guy. Sure enough, on the back of his bike, he has a pizza. Some people ordered this pizza, but when I got to the address, they weren't there. Do you guys want a free pizza? Now, David... I don't know if God is real, right? <laughs> but if she was, I think us walking into like God's convention, uh, stealing food from God's chosen people, stealing the prayer room sign, that God would be mad at us. But David, God just gave us a free fucking pizza. We were rewarded so handsomely for our heresy. I, I, it made me want to do it over and over again. I mean, how do you explain that? I've ne that's never happened to me before. Someone's like, hey, want a free pizza? After I said I just wanted a pizza. And it wasn't like we were on like Bourbon Street. We were pretty much in a parking garage. Like it was a desolate area. Yeah. Now, when we got back to the hotel room after eating that pizza, we did order a second pizza. <laughs> but I do remember after eating a second pizza... Being like, we shouldn't have got that second pizza. But if that was like our big comeuppance, eating too much of delicious pizza, oh, you got me, Satan. This whole memory got unlocked the second you said, come pray with me, brother. It was like the Manchurian candidate and I, the sleeper cell awoke as soon as you said that. Look, if any Christians are listening to this, uh, I'm sorry that your entire religion is based on a lie. Thank you for that story. I'm glad one of us remembered it. I'll, I'll never forget it. Oh, no. Am I going to get dementia later? Is that my final comeuppance? Yikes! And on that note, <laughs> we will wrap up the inventory episode. Episodes 13 through 24 are in the books, and so we press on. Folks, don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain, or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Episode 25 being released on May the 4th or somewhere thereabouts from 2017 and directed by Ryan Johnson. We're watching Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi. Controversial. I'm stoked. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.